Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. All right, how come y'all knew those songs better than the worship songs is what I want to know. She's trying to get y'all, some of y'all sing out loud, you wouldn't even bear, barely sing, and now all of a sudden, uh, come on now. So, uh, well, we come out of the 60s, and we come out of it in a haze of smoke and uh, free love, and we march right into the 70s. Here are some of the highlights of the 70s that some of you will remember very well. Uh, Grease, uh, Willy Wonka Chocolate Factory. Jaws, because some of y'all were ever scared to go in the ocean ever again. Uh, Happy Days, The Million Dollar Man, The Bionic Woman, The Dukes of Hazard, Farrah Fawcett, Woo! The Muppets, Star Wars, Scarface, The Beatles Break Up, Elvis Dies, Farrah Fawcett. Woo! I uh, know. Atari comes on the scene. Michael Jackson goes solo. The Sugar Hill Gang releases Rapper's Delight. There's Disco. There's Jim Jones and Jonestown. There's Three Mile Island. And there's Fair Fawcett. Woo! All right. So um, I need Jesus. Yep. 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 So uh, CNN described the 70s like this. It said that we were careening from crisis to crisis. Uh, For those of you that were alive in that period of time, uh, we endured the scandal in the White House known as Watergate. Uh, There was political upheaval and uh, Richard Nixon became the only president to ever resign while in office. Uh, We had the Arab oil embargo, which led to a recession And this is hard to imagine for us, but interest rates on mortgages exploded to 18%. Some cases even higher than that. So you think about your mortgage right now at 3% and think about what your payment would be every month if you were paying 18 to 21%. It was ridiculous. All because of the oil embargo. We watched the Iran uh, hostage crisis drag out and play out on TV. Uh, And so it it was crazy. All of these moments led to uh, a period in 1975 when Gerald Ford, president at the time, stood up in the State of the Union address and he said this. It was a, it's one of the only times this, some, I guess probably, let me say it like this. One of the only times president was probably honest during the State of the Union address. He said, the State of the Union is not good. It was so many crises. So everybody remembers the disco of the 70s, but what we fail to remember about the 70s is the great devastation that took place in our nation during the 70s. Did you know, this is one of the interesting facts, did you know that during the 1970s, uh, there was a huge rise, it was like it was the first time it ever happened, there was a huge rise in professional counseling. It was because people felt like they lost themselves. So let's go back. Let's talk about this. We said in the 60s, the sermon that was preached over the airways, through Hollywood, through all the scenes that were going on, Woodstock, you'll remember the message that was being promoted was this. If it feels good, do it. So that's what took place in the 70s, and it gives birth to the, or into the 60s. And so now we come into the, the 70s, and we had so embraced that idea 
if it feels good, do it. We come stumbling into the 70s and we discover there's a new message being preached. Now, it's found in a kind of an in, uh, uh, kind of a weird place. It's found in a set that was done by a famous comedian. He did a set about Geraldine. And in his set, Flip Wilson makes this statement. Now, what happens is, it's, see, some of y'all know. See, uh, what happens is we embrace this idea, if it feels good, do it. And we live it out to such an extreme that in the 70s, Flip Wilson says this. He says, the devil made me do it. So you see what happens here is that we, we, we go from this moment where we can do whatever feels good and it leads to this next step or progression because it's always this progression and I'm going to show you this from Scripture. We go from what feels good to now we got to blame somebody else. The devil made me do it. Perhaps uh, the greatest and most glaring revelation of this is that in the 60s we were told there's sexual freedom. You can do anything you want to do. But in the 70s we take another step and we say if freedom leads you to a situation you don't want to be in, then you ought to be able to blame somebody else and refuse to take responsibility. So now Roe versus Wade hits the courts and becomes the law of the land. Because if it's okay to do whatever feels good and it's not your responsibility when the consequences of your actions take place... Now you can abort what you don't want. That's the 70s. Another glaring example of this was uh, in the 1970s was the institution of the no-fault divorce law. Um, Ronald Reagan was the one that promoted that, believe it or not, in California. He was the governor. He would later come back and say it was the worst mistake of his political career. I listened to a guy a couple weeks ago read statements from professional counselors that said about this law, it won't, it won't have any impact on society and the children that are, are, uh, are caught up in these no-fault divorces won't have any issues in life because the government will step in and raise their children and their children will be raised well. Well, we know that didn't work out, right? And so the, the law said this, that, that a marriage could be dissolved by either party for any reason. Any reason. There was no responsibility, no consequences. So I would say that the 70s are really nothing more than the Genesis account extrapolated. Here it is. Here's how it works. In the, in the 60s, if it feels good, do it. So Adam and Eve show up in a garden. If it feels good, do it. They see fruit that they were some not supposed to eat of, but it looks good. So they take of the fruit. That's the 60s, right? But then they graduate to the 70s rapidly. Because uh, the snake blames God. It's God's fault. He shouldn't have put you in this garden with that fruit there that looks so good. And it's his fault that you can't eat this. Then the woman eats it. And what she do? She blames the snake. It's the snake's fault. The snake's the one that did this to me. And then when God holds Adam accountable, Adam, living in the 70s, I don't know which 70s, but one of the 70s said, it's not my fault. It's that woman that you gave me. Right? It's all about placing blame. If you want to sum up the 70s, I believe you can simply say this about the 70s. It was the decade of blame. Blame everybody else for my issues. Blame everybody else for my problems, my difficulties. Pass the responsibility to everybody else. I won't accept responsibility for any of it. And I want to say this to you this morning. I believe that the 70s may have been the most devastating decade for us as a nation and as a people group. And you say, why? Because Hasn't it shown up that that thought that I don't have any responsibility and it's everybody else's fault, hasn't it continued to carry out from generation to generation to now everybody's a victim? Right? In fact, we've, we've bought into this so strongly, we can actually sue people 
for doing what we asked them to do. Like, serve me a cup of hot coffee, but if I spill it in my lap, it's not my fault. It's your fault for selling me hot coffee, so I will sue you because you did. It's about placing blame. Now, what's worse than that, though, in my opinion, is this, is that that concept of placing blame and refusing to accept responsibility not only permeated society, it infiltrated the church. And it still continues to this day. Let me just make a couple statements, then I'll move on. So now what happens is this. Now you have believers who can do what feels good, even though Scripture speaks directly against it. And then they can say, it's not my fault. It was the way I was raised. It was my environment. The devil made me do it. Okay, it got real quiet. I knew, I knew even in a white suit you wouldn't like it. So, uh, um, so here's what we do. We, we, we have believers today that name the name of Christ that can live together, that can shack up, that can, uh, can, can participate in homosexuality. Sammy is going to get, okay. All right. They name the name of Jesus, but, but then they don't want to accept any of the blame. And they say, well, I, 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 I'm still saved because, because it's not my fault. Okay, some of y'all aren't involved in that, so let me see if I can get to where you are. So, so what we do is we make excuses. We, we don't believe we're responsible, so I can cheat because I was raised differently. I literally had a conversation with not just a, a believer, but a guy that calls himself a preacher that looked at me and was stealing from the government and told me it doesn't really matter because I was raised different than you. I'm, I'm like, wait, wait just a minute now. That's the 70s. That, that, that means I can, I can be uh, sexually promiscuous but because this relationship is different. If God had known that this relationship was going to exist, He wouldn't have made the rules. That he, uh, I, I can refuse to honor God with my finances. I can refuse to deal with my bitterness. I can refuse to deal with my attitude because I'm a byproduct of my environment and it's not really my fault. If my parents had taught me better, if they'd have treated me better, if my teachers would have liked me, if my neighbor would have treated me nice, then I wouldn't be the way I am. It's not really my fault. It's just not my fault. That's the 70s. So out of this backdrop of the 70s, can I remind you of a couple important things that we need to learn uh, today? Because if we don't, what we will do is we will take what we learned in the 70s, that baggage, and we will bring it into our Christianity. And I want to make sure that we don't do that. Are you with me? All right. Not distracted too bad? Okay. I could dance a little bit. Just a little bit. All All right. So here we go. The first thing I want, some of this is rehash, and you're going to go, why do you keep talking about this stuff? Because we, we still don't have it. Until we get it, we're going to keep talking about it. So here you go. Number one, Christianity, absent of personal responsibility and corporate accountability, is not the Christianity of the Bible. I'm going to say that again. Christianity, absent of or, or minus personal responsibility... And corporate accountability is not the Christianity of the Bible. If you are living a Christian walk with no personal responsibility and no corporate accountability, then you are living a 70s version of Christianity. You say, well, you can't prove that. Yes, I can. Just all you got to do is go to Galatians. And Paul weighs in. And he doesn't mince words. And in in Galatians chapter 6, in verse 7... Uh, He deals with personal responsibility. He says, be not deceived. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Here it is, personal responsibility. For whatever a man sows, 
that he will also reap. I didn't give many amens on that. Because here's the reality of what he's saying. We are personally responsible for our actions. There are consequences to our actions. There are repercussions to our attitudes. There are repercussions to how we behave. There are repercussions to how we treat one another. This is, this is personal responsibility that we cannot escape. Notice it doesn't say uh, you will reap unless it was enjoyable. It doesn't say you will, you will reap unless you were raised differently. There is no wiggle room. Our actions are our actions and they bear fruit. And we are personally responsible for our actions. This is not a popular message in the 70s and it's certainly not a a popular message in the 2018s either. We don't like the fact that we are responsible. James comes in in chapter 4, verse 17, and he says it like this. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For him. Not anybody else. When we make a choice that doesn't line up with God's Word, it's not mama's fault. It's not daddy's fault. It's not great uncle's fault. It's not my teacher's fault. It's nobody's fault but mine. For him that knows to do right and does not do it, it is sin for him. Personal responsibility. Scripture teaches us that we are personally responsible for us. But it doesn't stop there. Paul comes in in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. And he begins to deal with the corporate aspect. He says this, Brothers, if a man is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, watching yourself, lest you also be tempted. So not only are we we responsible for us, and this really breaks down in the 2018 era we're living in, we are also corporately accountable for each other. Read that scripture. It says, If we see one of our brothers or sisters falling in transgression, we have a responsibility, a corporate responsibility to go and restore them. How can you go restore them if you're not corporately accountable? Okay. I I just... (laughs) If we are part of the family of God, the body of Christ, then when we sign up for that gig, Not only are you personally responsible for your actions, we also, at that moment, when we sign up for that and we take part in that, I become responsible for you and you become responsible for me. We have corporate accountability with each other. I want to make a statement to you that uh, I've made from this pulpit before. I think it may be the most powerful statement that I've ever made. That's saying a lot after 10 years. I'm saying that that this may be the crux of the, the, the message that I've been trying to get across to you. Maybe the most powerful statement I've ever made to you. I've made it before, but it's the least applied. And that is this. Christianity cannot be practiced in isolation. Cannot. I'm going to say it another way because I've said it that way before. Let me say it like this. You will struggle to follow Christ in isolation. Why? Because in isolation, we not only break down the corporate accountability, we break down our personal responsibility. Because in isolation, we will excuse our sins. 
in isolation, we will act the way we want to act and we will blame somebody else. Uh, See, we think isolation insulates, but what it really does is it incubates. I'm going to say that again just because I like the way it sounds. We think isolation insulates us from everybody else, but what it really does is it incubates. It incubates in us bitterness, and it incubates in us brokenness, and it incubates in us a willingness to point fingers at everybody else. When we're isolated, we incubate these things because in isolation, I submit to you that our spiritual growth is stunted. You cannot grow the way you're supposed to grow in isolation. We grow... The Bible says it like this, iron sharpens iron. So as you interact with each other and you bump into each other and you live life together and you uh, exchange and you inter-exchange with one another, there's growth that takes place and you become a better Christian. So this is what happens in isolation. There is lack of accountability in isolation. In fact, I want to say to you this morning that isolation is the breeding ground for laziness in spiritual disciplines. It amazes me how many people grow when they're in relationship with other believers that are pushing them to grow. It also amazes me how many believers start to shrink and go backwards in their walk with Christ when they isolate themselves because they have no one pushing them and encouraging them and ribbing them and the Scripture calls it spurring them. We understand that in Oklahoma. How many of you know it's not fun to be spurred? But you don't move forward unless you're spurred. Right? And so so there's this so you can play with sin in isolation, you can slip in relationships in isolation, you you can you 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 become very closed in. I could do this by myself. I just just need Jesus in me. The only problem was even Jesus needed other people. That's a 70s mentality. So without the intrusion of someone else in your life who asks you the hard questions, you are practicing 70s version Christianity. In fact, uh, the absence of this type of person in our Christianity, according to what we read in James chapter 5 verse 16, shows us the result. In, In James chapter 5 verse 16 it says this, it says, To confess our faults one to another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. I'm going to read that again. Confess our faults. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another so that we can be healed. So the, the conclusion is this then, that there are a lot of us that are walking around saved that aren't healed and that aren't whole. Because James says that the only way to graduate to wholeness or healing is not just to say a prayer and get saved. It is to confess your faults one to another. Corporate accountability, where we hold one another personally responsible and corporately accountable. And out of that, wholeness comes. In fact, I want to say this to you today. Without transparency, there can be no transformation. I'll bring this account to your attention and then I'll get out of your way. I was reminded this week as I begin to read back over this, the story of David. David was a great king. Uh, uh, the problem was is he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. 
And uh, the Bible says that when it was the time that kings should be out at war, he decided to stay home and take it easy because it felt good. And he was taking it easy, and he walks out on his porch, his balcony one day, and he looks, and Bathsheba is there, and she's taking a bath. Farrah Fawcett was taking a bath. Right, let's make it 70s, all right? And he begins to operate in the 60s. Whatever feels good, that's what I can do. So he sins for her. The only problem was she was married, right? So he begins to try to hide it because there was no corporate accountability. And he didn't want to take personal responsibility. And he has her husband killed, right? So he's, act, he's acting like the, the, the 60s, but then he kind of goes into the 70s where it's, it's, it's her husband's fault. If they weren't married, this wouldn't be a big deal. And, 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 and then all of a sudden, he's confronted by a guy, a prophet, who comes in and he says, this is what you've done and what you've done is wrong. And I want you to notice what happens. David takes personal responsibility. Remember? He says, you're right. You're absolutely right. What I've done wrong, I've done wrong, and I've sinned against God and God alone. Y'all remember that? That sounds really good. That's where most preachers stop, right there. That's all we ever hear about is that he said, you're right, I did wrong, I sinned against God. But what we fail to recognize is that he didn't accept responsibility. Now, there may have been some remorse, but there wasn't any repentance until somebody called him on the carpet. Until Nathan comes along and says, you're the man. You did this. This is wrong. This is a sin. He may have felt remorse, but he hadn't repented. It took a corporate accountability to bring him to a moment of personal responsibility. And so my question for you this morning is this, is, is if you remove the challenge of accountability, then I think David would have probably made excuses, and I think he would have tried to escape responsibility. But when somebody called him under the, on the carpet and said, this is wrong. And I want to say this to you this morning, or ask you this question. Who's your Nathan? Who do you have in your life that can hold you and challenge you to responsibility and accountability. And don't you dare say it's me. That's the, that's the easy escape. Well, it's Pastor Steve. Every week he stands up in the pulpit and he challenges us. I hope I do. I hope I make you uncomfortable every week. I hope you walk out of here. I started to say bleeding, but that sounds bad. But, but, but at least reflecting Am I living up to the level of spiritual maturity that Christ calls us to? I hope every week I'm challenging you to that. However, please, please don't take the easy way out and say, well, my Nathan is Pastor Steve. Because here's the truth. Although I am responsible for trying to hold us corporately accountable, for most of you, I don't have the personal access into your life day in, day out to ask you the hard questions about the things that you need the hard questions ask about, like how are you spending your money? Like where are you spending your Friday night? Who are you spending it with? I don't have the, the access necessary to ask you the, 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 the every aspect, because see, we need somebody that can walk into every area of our life and ask us questions about our sexual life, our relational life, our spiritual life. Somebody that can confront us and challenge us. Because without that, you will live a 70s version of Christianity. And in isolation, you'll blame everybody else. Touch your neighbor and say, I need you. Come on, tell us. I need you.
Touch your other neighbor and say, you need me. Yeah. So, here are my questions in a nutshell. What sin are you excusing? Because if you're excusing sin in your own life, and i just be honest with you, don't we all? We've become very comfortable with our sin. I can point out everybody else's, and I can lay judgment down in a hurry and say, ooh, that's a sin, they shouldn't be doing that. But I become very comfortable with my own sin. And I learn how to justify my own sin. So, if we just want to push that off and blame everybody else, then we have walked right into 70s style Christianity. So my question to you this morning is simply this. What sin in your own life, personal responsibility, what sin in your own life have you become comfortable with? Which sin in your own life have you learned how to excuse? And now I just want you to say it out loud in front of everyone. No, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> I started to pull this old trick where uh, in Pentecostal settings we go like this. Uh, yeah, the, the Holy Spirit told me, and now I'm just going to tell you. Uh, Darren, I know what you're sinning. God's been telling me all week. And Jeff, and I'm just going to go around the room and tell you, but I'm not going to do that this morning, although he did tell me. <laughs> in fact, if I've got it written down in my phone, I'll send it. No, I'm playing. But, but, but really, when's the last time you sat around or even stopped long enough and thought, this doesn't line up with His Word. I said last week that the countercultural call of Christ will never lead you to a counter-scriptural expression. So what in your life has led you to a counter-scriptural expression? What are you comfortable with? What sin have you let go? How, how long have you been involved in this thing to the point that you've become comfortable with it? Because I want to tell you this morning, God's not comfortable with it. And He never will be. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. The second challenge is this. Who do you have in your life that can say what I just said to you? But they're so personally involved in your life when they say it, it will bring you to the point that David came to and you will accept personal responsibility. Because see here, I know this is true. I, I, know, I, know, I know even though I'm dressed in white and have a disco chain on, the truth is, is, the, 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 the truth is, is I can sit here all day long and say, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin, it's sin. But we're not close enough and I don't have access enough so that you can actually, I know this is hard to believe, but you can actually walk out of here and not really take that challenge personally. So who do you have in your life that if they stopped you on the way out this morning and said, hold up a minute. I saw where you were Friday night. I was driving down the street, saw you pull in. And I don't like it. And you go, you're right. I'm the one. It was me. With a big old passion church sticker on the back of my car. I pulled in. You can ignore that from me, but you cannot ignore that from people that you are in relationship with that ha you have given permission to access your life at that level. Who in your life do you have that can look at you and say, 
that's wrong. And you go, I don't like it, but you're right. And I'll adjust. Until we get to that level, until we get to that place where every one of you has somebody, maybe they're not a part of this body, but you have someone that checks in on you regularly and asks you those kind of questions, that until we get there, we might, as well wear, we might as well wear white suits and disco chains every week because we are participating in 70s style Christianity. And that is not what God's called us to So I want you to stand with me this morning. And I'll ask them in reverse because we're only going to deal with one this morning. The second question I'll ask first, who's your Nathan? Your your assignment this week after you leave this house is to find somebody that you... Listen, we talked about this yesterday in our men's breakfast. Accountability is intended. It has to be intentional. Nobody just kind of haphazardly does accountability and all of a sudden you walk up to somebody and they go, hey, let me ask you some hard questions. It doesn't work. You have to intentionally pursue people and go, hey, bro, I need you to hold me accountable. I give you permission to ask me how I spent all my money this week. I give you permission to ask me what was I looking at on TV. I give you permission to ask me what did I look at on my computer. I give you permission to ask me how I treated my wife and my kids. I give you permission to say, hey, did you read your Bible this week? Did you spend any time in prayer? That has to be, account- that has to be int- intentional accountability. So that's your assignment this week. For each and every one of you to find somebody that you trust, you got to trust them. Not everybody gets that kind of access because they'll blast you on Facebook. All right? I don't want my trash tweeted. I, 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 don't, I don't want my faults on Facebook. Although it seems like that's where they end up a lot. I don't know how that happens, but it is. But not everybody deserves or has earned that kind of access. So you've got to vet them. You've got to try them. To just make something up and tell them. And if it shows up on Facebook, then they're not the one. All right? So I went out last night and I, like, I murdered six dogs and I poisoned some cats. Yeah, and, and uh, spent all, I, went, I went to the casino and lost everything I had. They're coming to get my house. Then watch Facebook and see if it shows up. Steve Ely went out and killed six dogs and put seven cats and lost everything he owns on Facebook. We're going to start a GoFundMe to try to help him get his house back. Then I know, then I know I can't trust you. All right, just make something up. But you've got to find somebody that you can be honest with. That's your assignment this week. But this morning, our assignment this morning is the personal side. What sin in your life have you become way too comfortable with? Well, Steve, you don't know who you're talking to. These are like Pentecostal holiness people. I mean, we're so holy, we glow in the dark. Yeah, I've watched some of you drive down the street too. I know better. Because I was the one that cut you off. and Right? Tari did that to me one time on purpose. You did. You don't remember that? Coming up county line, you, you... you, you did. You slowed down on purpose to see what I would do. Well, you didn't cut me off. You slowed down when I was in a hurry. I'm holding you corporately accountable right now. You are personally responsible for everything I said in that car that day. No, I'm playing. He did, though. He did. Now, 
Don't we excuse ourselves too much? Listen, that's what this morning is about. We're going to take some time. We don't always do this, but we're doing this this morning. Whether you need to come to these altars or at your chairs, I don't care. But I, I just think it's probably been way, way, way too long since all of us have stopped and said, Jesus, would you please show me the areas of my life that I've become comfortable, that I've excused? We give, we give calls all the time for people to give their heart and life to Jesus the first time. But what about those of us that have been saved for like 15 or 20 years? But we still have those sins we're so comfortable with. So this morning, I'm going to pray, and then we're just going to let them play softly. And then while they're playing, I'm going to give you permission to either come to the altar or find a place to pray. And we're just going to spend just a few moments. We won't tarry a long, long time. But we want to take enough time that you have a chance to examine your own life and give Jesus the ability to hold you personally responsible. Father, this morning, I pray that you would do what I cannot do. I pray in this moment that the spotlight of your Holy Spirit, the conviction of the Holy Spirit would come on in our lives. And the truth is, Father, I can stand here as the number one example. We all become comfortable with stuff in our life that's not like you. We want to lay the blame at everybody else's feet, but I pray this morning we would accept personal responsibility. God, let your spotlight come on and show us and convict us and May we hear the voice of God in our own spirit, in our own heart, in our own life. Would you please reveal to us words that we shouldn't say, actions that we shouldn't take, attitudes that we need to end, relationships that are dangerous, steps that we, the decisions that we're trying to make that aren't like you. God, may you examine every aspect of our life. And I pray that we would be honest and transparent in these moments. I pray you would accomplish this in Jesus' name. Would you find a place to pray for a few minutes and just allow the Holy Spirit to pinpoint in your own life what you may have been excusing or that you may have become comfortable with. Would you just take a few moments It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.